Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. This is episode 18. Um, before we get into what this episode's about, I wanted to remind you guys of some upcoming events. This particular weekend, uh, Saturday, I'm going to be at Huntington Beach. There's going to be a big bus show down on the pier, and uh, that's brought to you by the Cowabunga VW Van Clan of Huntington Beach. So it'll be a bunch of VW buses out on the pier this Saturday in Huntington Beach. Come out, check them out. It should be pretty cool. You'll see me. I'll be in the Bull Run bus. If you see me, come by, and I'll give you some Let's Talk Dub stickers. Um, after that, the next event's coming up. Uh, May 31st is going to be the DKP meet uh, in historic Main Street at uh, Garden Grove. That's, if you remember last episode, Lanny Hussey, who we interviewed, he'll be debuting the Ultramaroon car down there. Uh, a couple other cars will be debuting down there, so it should be pretty cool. Typical DKP meet in the summertime with some cool cars, some cool Cadillac cars debuting. So that's happening on the 31st on June 4th. First is the RVA Concord Elegance that's going to be in uh, in Huntington Beach as well. And then there's going to be the Octo Meet that will be at uh, in Long Beach at Veterans Memorial. Um, and that'll be Saturday. And then Sunday is going to be the Bug Inn in Fontana. So um, that's the beginning of the big long week of VW stuff that's going to be happening this summer. So uh, that's the weekend. I'll be out there. So if you want to catch up me, say, hey, see what's up. I'll be out there. Today's episode. So today's episode, we're going to talk uh, to Burley Burlau. Burley Burlau is the uh, VW Land Speed historian. He has uh, all of the documented history on all the Volkswagen Land Speed records that have been uh, set, attempted, and tried in all the different classes and categories and all that kind of stuff. I ran into Burley Burlau back at Buses by the Bridge. We had a conversation in respect to uh, what he's up to, what he's doing. Land Speed stuff's always kind of fascinated me. Uh, it's ironic because us people that drive Volkswagens, we like to drive them fast, so... Um, we kind of talked about some things and when you listen to this episode, you'll find out how you can drive your Volkswagen at Bonneville. Uh, I'm looking forward to bringing the crew cab out there. That's going to be September uh, 13th through the 16th is going to be the world of speed out there. So the world of speed is where they're going to be doing the 36 horsepower challenge. And if you come out there, um, contact Burley Burlau, you'll get his info on the podcast and he'll send you all the information that you're going to need to figure out what you're going to need to be able to run your car out there. And it's not a lot. It's a few safety precautions you'll need, but for the most part, you won't have to do too many modifications. I I've always thought it would be really cool to take my car out there and run the land speed. Uh, Bonneville Salt Flats, it'd just be a cool thing to do just to say that you've done it. So um, it's going to be a good podcast. Check it out. Lots to learn. He's got a ton of history. It's a lot of good information. I'm sure we'll be back talking to Burley again before the world of speed. So hopefully we're able to get a bunch of people pumped up to come out there. Check it out. Um, I'm excited to take my carbon cab out there. And there's a cat by the name of Steven Mueller out of Australia. And I met him a few years back at the VW Classic. He was down at the host hotel. He's from Australia. He's got, uh, he's one of the Australian kingpins out there in the VW scene. Cool guy, uh, rapping them for a little bit back at the VW Classic a few years back. And um, apparently he's got a record set in a crew cab with a, what they call a super big block which is a type four or aftermarket uh, engine case. And that record is set at 119 miles an hour. So my goal is to get out to world speed this year and break that 119 mile an hour record that he's got set. And I'm going to try to do the most strategizing with the current power plant and setup that I've got now to be able to hit that 119 mile an hour to break that record that he's got so we can bring it back to the stateside. Plus, I've always wanted to run Bonneville. So take a listen to the podcast to find out how you can get your car out there to run it on the Bonneville Salt Flats. Not a lot to do, but it would be something pretty cool to do. And let's see if we can get a big contingent out there this year at the World of Speed in Bonneville. So 
take a listen to the podcast, enjoy, and don't forget, go on our iTunes page, give us a review, five stars. If you're not going to give us five stars, save it, but make sure you give us five stars. Also write a review on there every month. I'm going to pick one person that's written reviews and I'm going to send them a sticker pack and some t-shirts when we get t-shirts in. Unfortunately, I don't have t-shirts yet. I'm still waiting on a shop to get my t-shirts produced, but I'll have t-shirts in before May 31st. So I will have t-shirts out May 31st. Uh, Let's Talk Dubs po- podcast t-shirts. So they'll be really cool. Trust me, you'll want when we see them. They'll be on our uh, Facebook page as well. So uh, don't forget, support the podcast, share it with your friends. That's how we're going to be able to keep doing this as we just keep growing the podcast. So if you like what you hear, share it with all your VW buddies, slap them in the face, tell them to get on the stick, tell them, explain to them about the future in this thing called a podcast. Let them check it out. Hopefully some pretty good content on there. Some upcoming uh, interviews that I've got for you. This this week coming up, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Ron Fleming, Ron Fleming uh, from Fat Performance. Um, he's also one of the original DKP members. Uh, he's got a lot of history in VW Drag Racing, so it'll probably be a multi-part episode because I'm sure we've got hours and hours of stuff to talk about. So hopefully you're interested. If you guys got any questions you want me to ask him, hit me up on my Facebook page or shoot me uh, a DM on my Instagram. So our Instagram is at let's talk dubs and our Facebook page is let's talk dubs. So don't forget, go on our Facebook friend, go, go on our Facebook page, share the page, share the podcast, help grow the VW podcast. I appreciate your support out there guys. And thanks so much. Enjoy the podcast episode 18 with Burley Burlow. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast today. Today on the podcast, i got a special guest. Uh, I've got Burley Burlow. He's from uh, St. George, Utah. He's been involved with the VW Land Speed history, and he's basically been the historian since 1963. He's also the promoter of the 36 Horsepower Challenge. Uh, he's been a contributing writer for Hot VW's Magazine since 1973. I'd like to welcome uh, Burley to the podcast. Burley Burlow, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me on here, Bill. Let me let me just mention Hot VW since nineteen seventy one. Since nineteen, I think I'm their oldest continuing contributor. Well, perfect. So you've been uh, contributing article since nineteen seventy one. So that was exactly one year before I was born. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's that's not a big deal because listen, I'm uh, I'm I'm getting up there. I'm pushing. Uh, I'm in my forties, my mid forties. But so what I want to talk to you about is I've always been intrigued and interested on the VW land speed stuff, and I think. You know, it's funny because it's kind of oxymoronic for the VWs being land speed because they're such low horsepower vehicles. But mm-hmm. one of the things um, that I want to get into first, because I got a lot of questions for you, but first I want to hear your story, your VW story. How did you get into Volkswagens? What sparked this interest with you with Volkswagens? And then further, even to take it into the land speed stuff. So, what what's your Volkswagen story? The thing that got me to buy my first Volkswagen was my Corvette. Yeah. I had a 1956 Corvette uh, with a stock V8 engine and a beast four-speed hydromatic transmission that I slalom raced in the uh, Southern California Sports Car Club area. Yeah. 
And because my uh, Corvette had a hydromatic, it was considered a modified car. So, car, so I had to race against all of the uh, fast guys, even though my car was not fast. Right. So this was just after 1960. I started in 64 and 65. The cars that were racing against me were the brand-new Cobras, the brand-new XKs, the brand-new Stingrays, and a brand-new, one of the first 10 Myers-Manx dune buggies. Oh, really? Powered by a Corvair, and uh, it was through Crown uh, Manufacturing. Uh, and when I say one of the first 10, it was one of the monocoques that did not bolt to a chassis, but they bolted the suspension to the body. Oh, okay. And this Corvair-powered uh, car it was driven by a fellow named Don Wilcox. And to give you an example how good this car was, racing against Cobras right directly from the Shelby Company, Yeah. these other fantastic cars, Ferraris included, he won, I think it was 45 out of 47 fast, fastest time of the days in one year. Oh, wow. I mean, the car was impressive. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. And so I, I was, and I was already a, a becoming a fan of the buggies. There were, I, I would see Myers Bank buggies in Southern California where this was all going on, and so I was intrigued. And uh, in 1960, late 1966, I bought my first Volkswagen. Yeah. A stock uh, 40 horse 1962 Anthracite Gray Beetle, uh, and then. That's why I was cruising Bellflower Boulevard in when I met my wife. Nice. Who's still married to me 52 years later. Awesome. So anyway, so we, uh, after we got married, uh, I want, I, I had dreams of being a comp competitive racer. And so I convinced her we should get a dune buggy and it had it so I could set it up for slalom racing, not off-road racing at all. Uh, at this point we bought a buggy. Six, it was a Sandwinder body on a 66 chassis, and uh, we proceeded to go slalom racing and did terrible with it. Yeah. Just stock VW engine. Later on, when the first bugging came in 1969, uh, we'd entered for that, and uh, but we were practicing in the Whittier Hills, and I crashed up onto the side hill and broke the nose cone on the transmission, and by the time we got it, fixed uh, using the nose cone off of Carol Shelby's Myers Manx. Wow. We, by the time we got to the Orange County Raceway, the slalom event was over. Oh. So I had to wait six months till they had it uh, again, at which time out of, I don't know how many competitors, 150 competitors, I did get the fast time of the day. Nice. And so that was my one racing achievement in my life that I'm so proud of. <laughs> I, again, I was just a solid VW fan from that point on, and I've never not had them. I've never not been around them. Uh, I've worked uh, at the uh, factory level as the complaint department for Volkswagen Pacific in Southern California. Oh, nice. At, at the dealer level at Renfrey Motors in uh, Orange, California, and at uh, Morris Volkswagen in Logan, Utah. And then I've also worked... Uh, in as an independent shop uh, general manager uh, i've had a fiberglass business for 17 years where we manufactured the uh, 32 37 and 44 hoods for vws <laughs> and and coop top kits so it's yeah it's, it's just something i've been ingrained in the bonneville stuff came along with that 
Yeah. And that's, that's where I got involved with the Bonneville. So what year did you start getting involved? Now, you, you're from Southern California, right? Yes, Norwalk. Now, they have, in Southern California, they've also got the Southern California Timing Association or something like that, where they exactly. they do land speed stuff in Southern California at, in the desert somewhere, right? Well, it's in the desert and at Bonneville. Right, so so both, they do both. Yes, there, there's two major uh, land speed racing organizations. The, the grandfather is the SCTA, the Southern California mm-hmm. Timing, Timing Association, which goes back to 1937 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Utah Salt Flats Racing Association, which began about 1977, 78, right in there. Okay, and so starting in Southern, so, so did you start your first land speed stuff in Southern California in the, in the Mojave, is it the Mojave Desert where they race? Uh, they raced uh, originally at the Miroc Dry Lake, which was later taken over and became Edwards Air Force Base. Wow. Uh, they, there was another event they raced there, but they moved out to El Mirage where they still race to this day. They have about six six or seven, maybe eight events there uh, from spring through fall. Okay. And then, so you start, so, so what what makes the determining factor whether you're going to race in El Mirage or you're going to race in Bonneville? Is it just two different seasons, two different times, or two different associations, or... What Same base association, although they have separate Bonneville Nationals Incorporated, but it's it's a sister uh, arm to the SCTA. Uh, the difference is at El Mirage, the lake bed's about three miles long, so that gives you a little over about a mile and a quarter of acceleration in order to get your maximum speed. Yeah. Racing is all about how fast can I go, not how quickly can I get there. The Bonneville is, uh, in the beginning, it was, uh, the, the dry lake bed was so large, you could get 10, 12, 13 miles of smooth racing surface. Wow. Gave you a lot longer to build up speed, and of course, when you hit those high speeds, you need a lot longer to slow down. Sure. Over the years, the salt has deteriorated due to uh, mining interest, where they take the potash out. And uh, that's been an ongoing battle that's now uh, having some luck with the Save the Salt program. But uh, we've gotten down at Bonneville to where sometimes we only have five miles of racing surface, including stopping. Wow. Now, so, last, yeah. so, last year was the difference. It, it was last year the, the weather gods cooperated, the salt dried out, and they had right at 10 miles of racing and that's when we saw the 503 mile an hour wheel driven top speed of uh, uh, the Rick Vesco Streamliner called Turbinator. Wow. And that's a turbine engine vehicle? It's a turbine powered four wheel drive vehicle. It's, it's, it was driven to that speed. It's not a jet car that just happened to blow through the lights. Right, right. <laughs> it had to drive there. He had to spin rubber tires to get there. Okay, yeah. So some of the other ones, they, they actually use the turbine for the speed, and the wheels are just coasting. Yeah, it's like a plane with no wings. And so all they do is just reverse. So, there, I mean, there's a big difference because, obviously, you lose power through the drivetrain driving the wheels. So it's a little, exactly. it's a little tougher to get uh, a wheel-driven vehicle to go to that speed. Oh, it's, it's much tougher. The, the Terminator was designed about 25 years ago with the goal of hitting 500 miles an hour. And after all these years, they just achieved it this year. And that 500 miles an hour came, I'm going to say, 
probably right at about 50 years after the jet cars went through the 500 mile an hour barrier. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Uh, I guess that's a pretty big deal, you know what I mean, to, to be able to, to pull that distance. So now uh, I got a couple questions about between like El Mirage and then uh, Bonneville. So uh, is the elevation the same at both locations? No. The elevation, I think, at El Mirage is about 3,000 feet. Well, no, it's probably in the, in the 2,000, 2,800 square foot area. At Bonneville, it's 4,200 foot. So you're 4,200 feet of elevation. Bonneville is. Bonneville. So so the reality is, if you're at sea level, you would theoretically run faster? Theoretically. Yes, because... But there's, there's another side to this. Okay. When you get uh, in, you get less air at higher altitudes, and that's a negative for drag racers and everybody. But in land speed racing, the air is also thinner. Less resistance. So there's less resistance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's why the Bonneville speeds have been able to stay at the top level of land speed racing. There's a large dry lake in Australia called Lake Gardner, and it's only at about 200, 300 uh, foot altitude. Yeah. But they're, they're still not anywhere close to the speeds at Bonneville. Their, their top speeds are right around 300 miles an hour on a very good salt surface, uh, but they, they haven't been able to get it to the speeds the guy at Bonneville do, and it must be due to the thinner air. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it makes sense to me, and, and who am I? I'm just a lay, I'm just a layman over here, <laughs> thinking <laughs> about this from a, just a basic, uh, basic uh, dynamics and principle of it. So going into uh, land speed record uh, driving, what was the first car you took land speed record driving, and what's the fastest you've gone land speed record driving? Uh, we built a uh, Super Beetle, mm -hmm. Super Beetle, in my partner Kerry Hart and I at the time. Uh, in 19, we started in 1990, finished it in 1991, and uh, we I raced it in 91 and 92 with him, and then he carried on for a couple years after that okay. with uh, using an engine in 1992 built by Mike Mangelli who at that time was the president of the Bonneville Nationals Incorporated. He's a huge Volkswagen guy. He races 250-mile-an-hour roadsters, and he races a diesel rabbit pickup. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he also races a gas. The same car gas engine that he's gotten to 194 miles an hour with a rabbit pickup. A 194 with a rabbit pickup? Yes. Mm -hmm. With a diesel rabbit pickup? Oh, no. He, with the diesel, they've been about 135. So 135 and it's stock drivetrain? Uh, no, modified, turbocharged, everything they can possibly do. Uh, the, they have what they call production classes in mm -hmm. land speed racing, uh, but they're basically applied to the body. The engines are never stock. So you the can, the, the, the chassis, the body, the suspension, most of that stuff needs to stay relatively stock with the exception of lowering, stuff like that, but drivetrain obviously because you're, you're trying to push that thing through the wind you can mod they, a lot of mods to the drivetrain yes so uh, and they have a broad there's over 500 categories of land speed racing oh, you wow. imagine it between motorcycles and cars you imagine it uh they'll find somewhere to put you in yeah because i'm sure everybody you know motorcycle guys are like well the inline guys versus the v-twin guys versus the horizontally opposed bmw guys like everybody wants their own class because everybody's got their complaints of advantages or disadvantages i'm sure so that's probably 
You're so right. <laughs> yeah, there's probably guys with a beard, guys with a beer belly, guys with you know, like like all the different classes because the guys are trying to level the playing in field. The six horse challenge. One of the first uh, conflicts we had with that was in the Type Two bus category, and that was whether they had reduction gear boxes or they didn't. Oh wow! Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's too funny. But I could see it. I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of racing as a whole. So the fastest you went in your Super Beetle was how fast? Uh, I drove it to 129 miles an hour. My partner got it to 131.296. And then the fastest that you've been period out there at the at the Dry Lake bed or at, the, at Bonneville is how fast? That's the fastest I've ever personally gone. So you you've never been in anybody else's super fast car or any of that kind of stuff because you're just I, out there I've focused. Had the opportunity to drive a. Uh, a, a Modified Roadster, mm-hmm. not a modified, a production body style Roadster uh, on the test area that they had back in the day, uh, just for the fun of that. But no, I I've, uh, haven't been racing competitive in land speed. More, my interest has been more in the historian part. Right. And gravitated uh, to the 36 horse challenge later on. Now, it seems that there's been kind of a renewed interest in the land speed stuff with the Volkswagens. I'm not, because I haven't been really in that world very much. Has there been a resurgence in people getting involved in the VW land speed stuff? Or has it always kind of been consistent with the amount of people that are there for that? No, there's always been a few. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you could go to Bonneville, and again, I've been going to Bonneville since 1962, uh, there were a few years I missed. I haven't missed a year since 1978, and I usually go twice a year, once for the Speed Week in August, which is the big to-do with over 500 racers and probably 5,000 spectators, uh, and the later World of Speed event in September, which is about one quarter to one-third the size, And but that's where that's where we hold up what we call the, v, the 36 Horse Challenge National. That's where we get most of the VW guys, but historically in speed week, uh, speed week, you get one, two, three VWs racing. Now I'm talking both air cooled and water cooled. Uh, a handful, one, two or three you're saying. Yeah. Just a handful. Just a handful, just a few. Wow. So when you go so, for the, so, and that's during world of speed. No, that, that's, I'm going back to the, the history of what it so, used to be. Okay. So typically prior, prior to, horse. sure. Prior to the 36 horse challenge. The 36 horse challenge uh, again was created out of maintaining the history of it, and then my interest in getting more people involved in land speed racing with Volkswagens. And so I started by uh, that that uh, article I wrote in 1997 for Hot VW's magazine. And oh, a year or two after that, I got a call from uh, Rich Kimball, yeah. who's a very famous person in the Volkswagen world. Yeah. His question was, hey, could my buddies with the old 36-horse cars, because we come out there and race. Now, at Speed Week, you couldn't. Speed Week uh, is the SETA event. It has You have to build a race car that, for safety purposes, meets all of their requirements, from cages, fire suits, fire systems, mm-hmm. uh, tires, everything. The beautiful part about the world of speed held by the Utah Salt Flats Racing Association is they have a couple of beginners classes. They call the 130 mile per hour club and the 150 mile per hour club. Now, I approached, after Rich called me, 
uh, I talked to them. I said, well, I'll, I'll check and see what they would do because they had requirements that specified that you had to have a three-point factory-type seat belt, mm-hmm. 130 mile an hour tires, and a few other minor things. But basically, the car was a real stock car or mm-hmm. modified stock car, but one that wasn't capable of going real fast. I talked to the USFRA people and I explained to them that I had people that were had cars that would be lucky to get 70 miles an hour out of them. Right. Much less 80 or anything above that. And going back in the history of Volkswagen racing, with a 36-horse engine, the fastest a uh, beetle-bodied 36-horsepower car had ever gone at Bonneville was 101 miles an hour with a Pepco supercharged 36-horse engine. Oh, wow. little over over window bug uh so i showed them you know the reality is these guys are not going to go that fast so could they maybe back off and let them use the s-rated tires which are rated for 112 miles an hour yeah if they they kind of have some kind of a seat belt so they need the usfra said they could use just a lap because that's what a lot of guys have upgraded their uh old vintage bugs with some still don't use seat belts, but you know some put in the seat belt just a regular lap belt just for some safety. Right. And the USFRA graciously said, "Hey, that sounds good." And so this was 2005, and so we we started putting this together. The sad part of all this is Rich Kimball's uh, Treffen and the Solvang events, which oh, all fall in the same to- week. The same weekend as the World of Speed, and they've never come. <laughs> so what what started out as an idea from him help, helping you get this idea going, it's, he's never been able to come out to the event and race the car. take advantage of it. So, when, so part of the advantage then is, I, I guess, those guys that don't have vintage Volkswagens but consider themselves to have kind of street, fast kind of Volkswagens, would similar rules apply to those guys? Uh to a limit, to a point. Depends and on in, top speed. Yeah, depends on top speed. And so with uh, the USFRA's 130-mile-an-hour club, and this also works, there's there's now since then, there's a lot of shorter events being run on old, abandoned, uh, mostly abandoned airport runways. It's called runway racing. Yeah. And that has grown around the nation. So there's probably 20 events like that now being held. Yeah, like standing mile races and stuff like that? Mile and mile and a half. So that that's allowed uh, people that maybe don't have the ability to travel from the East Coast to Bonneville to still go out and have fun. Now let me ask you this. So part of the, part, part of the reason why you know I was intrigued by this is because as a VW guy, a lot of us guys in my generation, even you know before me and whatnot, uh, you know, the Cowlick guys that started the whole Cowlick scene, all that stuff. We all like fast Volkswagens. Now, some of these guys go light to light. Some of these guys do a quarter mile racing. You know, it just depends. So my thought was always, I wonder if you could get just a bunch of guys to show up. Like this year, I plan to go up there in my bus, bring one of my buses because I've got, I have a bus and I think the fastest I've had it, uh, the Bull Run bus, which has a 2270 Type 4, the fastest I've had that with a GPS recorded getting on the on-ramp on the highway is 114. Now, 
it was just me getting on the highway and then obviously I'm on public road. So I slowed it down real quick and, you know, just kind of just did that. But I always, I, I have my crew cab, which I sent you a picture of. I posted on the 36 horsepower challenge Facebook page. I posted that. Now that car has got a 2650 type four on it in that motor. Uh, it's, it's a big giant fat performance motor and the transmission I have in that, the transaxle on that thing has got a super tall fourth gear that I don't even get into until I'm at freeway speeds. So that car, I've never really pinned it all the way to see what it would do, but I'd love to see what I could get it to do, you know? So my thought is what would be, let's say a group of guys wanted to come out there and this would be during this world of speed week, right? Correct. And so what, give me, give me the dates on that. September what? September, I believe 13th to the 16th, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And for that particular event, um, guys want to come out. I'm going to pull it up here because you sent me those dates. Um, yeah, 13th to the 16th. So, uh, so 13th Friday and end on a Monday. The event's going to be 13th through the 16th. Now, let's say a bunch of guys want to come out to this event, right? What do they need? And they're going to come out there. They're going to make the hall. They're going to get a room. It's a bunch of VW guys. Let's say a new generation of dudes coming out there. What do they need? What should, how should they show up prepared without having to do radical modifications to their street Volkswagens to bring their Volkswagens? What class should they enter in? And kind of, let's see if we could rally 20 guys to come out there and run their cars. Okay. What I would encourage them to do is call, email me okay. at birdybug at outlook.com. Okay. I will send them about 10 to 12 pages. Well, not pages, but 10 to 12 separate emails full of information. Okay. Let them read through it and read through it a second time. Uh, in some cases, they'll want to contact Utah Salt Flats Racing Association directly, look at their website, at their 130 and 150 mile per hour club requirements that are posted there. But if they will contact me, I will do my best to answer their questions or direct them to somebody who can. Okay. So for example, let's just talk about me specifically since you got me on the line. I've got my, I've got my crew cab. My crew cab has Z rated tires on it because I run the low profile Porsche wheels with the big Porsche brakes. Right. I've got three inch Simpson lap belts in it. Uh, I don't have, uh, any roll cage or any of that kind of stuff, what type of things would I need to qualify to run in the 130? I don't think it'd go faster than one, you know, 120. Um, Actually, that, that is your goal speed. Steve Muller in Australia. Uh-huh. I met Steve. Is, have you, you know Steve. Okay, then you know what a wonderful fella he is. Yeah. He's, he's got uh, an old kangaroo hunting Type 2. Right. He has a large Type 4 engine in. Yeah. In, in the 36-horse challenge, we, we call the 36-horse engines the small blocks. The regular 1,200 to 1,600cc style cases, the uh, big blocks, uh-huh. 914, uh, Type 2, Type 4, and uh, auto, auto craft and all those mod- those kind of cases, the super blocks. You, you have a super block engine in your crew cab. Love Steve... It. Holds the maximum top speed record at 119 miles an hour. 119 in a VW bus with a with a super block motor. Right. I with love just it. a big, big block with just a, about a 2200 
Wolfgang International holds that record at about 109. So with a, with a regular big block, meaning 1600 case. With a six, it's a, it's a, we can get you specifics, but I mean, yeah, that's no problem. Yeah, I so don't have a what, printed out. So his displacement, the motor that he's running, so the one that Wolfgang's got is a 1600-style case. So it might be right. 2276, 2386, 2400, who right. knows what. Well, probably 2386, biggest you could go in that case. And, and in the 36-horse challenge, we don't worry about displacement. Right, you just use cases. You have to just use a 36-horse case. Right, and in, in the 36-horse case uh, categories, we get a little more specific in some instances, but again, the goal of the 36-horse challenge is only to find out who has the fastest disc body style, this basic engine configuration, regardless of displacement cams, carburetors. So what's the biggest displacement 36-horse case car they have? We've got guys running them at sixteen ninety nine, I believe. So sixteen ninety nine because the biggest crank you can put in there is like a 36-horse crank? Or they, no, can they fit a 40 horse? The popular one is the, the Porsche 356 crank is a bolt in. Oh, wow. And, and that helps. We do, one of the limitations we put on the 36 horse is you cannot move the cylinder studs. That prevents you from putting 94 pistons on 1600 yeah. there, basically. Sure. Uh, we, you, you can change them from a 10 millimeter stud to, to an 8 stud which allows a little expansion sure but it also keeps the cost down for the guys running that uh but there's guys like daryl vatone mm -hmm. who has built up using a 25 horse case which is essentially the same engine only aluminum instead of magnesium uh and a turbocharger in what we call the new age class because it's modern it has a turbocharger on it not an old vintage supercharger yeah and He's been to 160 miles an hour, I think, with that. Is that, that car. in that Carmen Ghia? Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's a box stock body Carmen Ghia complete with overriders. Oh, really? It's not all smoothed out did, with baby moons and all that? No. Uh -uh. Interesting. Or salt flats, I guess they call them. But, but they do, he does use the salt. Most everybody runs the salt flat or moon disc just because they're cool looking. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, if you're going to raise a bunch, you got to have Yes, I mean it's just it's just cool looking. <laughs> so Steve Muller is my competition. He's the guy I'm trying to take his. I'm trying to bring his title back to the U.S. for us, mm -hmm. so that we can have the title for the fastest supercase Type Two VW in the in the 130 mile an hour class. So for that class, do I I don't need a roll cage? I'm hoping. Not a, the in the 130 club is basically production body cars. However, they do allow. Formula V's and other ones with some slight modifications. Okay. Uh, but the goal in the 130 club from the USFRA is to make two passes between 130 miles per hour and 139.999 miles per hour. That gets you into their 130 club. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, since your car probably won't do that, your goal is to go 119. And because of my history on all land speed racing Volkswagens, we know who the fastest is. So if you beat Steve, love it. you take his place on the list. That's <laughs> well, the only reward. That's yeah. my no goal. Trophy? Nothing. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need a trophy. I just want, I just want bragging rights. <laughs> that's right. And that's what it's all about. And a lot of people, maybe they, they don't have the ability financially or technically to build something that's going to break one of the existing records. 
And we really encourage them to come out and race for their personal best speed. You go as fast as you can, and then you try to beat that. Sure. And that makes the racing a lot more fun. Well, yeah, you're I mean, just that, yourself. That's the key with, I think, racing, keeping it competitive for the average person to get into it is most importantly to keep the cost down so it doesn't become what's happened with the Baja 1000 and all that stuff. It's like, unless you're, I mean, even if you're running in a 1600 class, it's costing you 20, 25 grand a year to race, which is not for the average individual. That's why there's not, I mean, guys are scraping together pennies to, to run in the, the, the class fives, you know what I mean? Or the, the class 11s. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I really, I really dig that. I think that's something interesting. I think I can throw the gauntlet out. The people listen to the podcast, you guys kind of know out there, anybody's got a big, uh, a big bus with a type four motor. I got some friends that have that. Probably, I've, I've, I know that I've helped influence pr- plenty of my friends to get type four motors in their type twos because they've got that bottom end grunt and torque that you need to push those big buses around easily. And so I know I've got some friends that have that. And then my brother's also got his panel bus. It's got a 23, a 2332 that he built in it. And so maybe I can rally the troops, at least from Las Vegas, and get at least three guys up there with big type four buses, type two and type four buses. And mm-hmm. then uh, maybe we can get some more guys to come out there for and that for Speed Week, the 13th through the 16th at, uh, at Bonneville. And uh, we'll also kind of put some links to it in the podcast links and also on my website at letstalkdubs.com where I'll put some of the links to some of these things because I think, I think that's the fun part about it. I think if, it, if it's not too convoluted, not too complicated, where a guy can come up there, make sure he's got the right rate of tires, he's got a battery bolt down, he goes through the rule list and looks at the stuff that he has, but doesn't really have to go spend $5,000 to get his car ready to run. If you can take your mostly you know, street-driven Volkswagen – bring it up there make sure you've got the right rated tire some good seat belts and and i guess you'll have to have a helmet i'm assuming um yes uh, a, a, a special one a snell 2010 and later automobile helmet they sometimes will let you get away with a 2010 snell motorcycle helmet but you might as well just get the automobile one to begin with okay so there that's what everybody knows what to look for i'm sure you can put you pick up an automobile helmet probably pretty cheap on craigslist yeah. Another little detail that, that you need to think about, because this applies to you, you've already got the Z-rated tires, but at Bonneville, they mandate, even in the 130 Club and 150 Club, that you have steel or you know metal valve stems, not metal, rubber. Stems. Metal valve stems, yeah, for right. to keep the valve stems up. I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't know on the, on the early, a lot of people don't know when they see it, they think it's just a stupid clip, but on the 911s, on the 80s 911s, they had a metal support that went up to hold the valve stem up from centrifugal force on their deep dish 16 inch alloys, which was used so that the, that the valve stem wouldn't fall off. So we'll have to make sure they got metal valve stems. So I would hope that the car's got metal valve stems because it's, it's factory. I haven't even looked at it, to be honest with you, um, but I'll take a look at it because I'd, li- I'd really like to get my car out there and bring the bus out there, see what it could do. Maybe we get some guys up from Salt Lake. You know, this is the challenge going out to everybody, everybody within 500 miles of the Bonneville Salt Flats. If you think you got a fast bus, bring it out there, and let's see who can take the record and bring it back home to the United States. I mean, I think that would be the coolest thing to do, and especially we get some more guys up there to kind of support the Salt Flat racing. We've actually got a lot of guys coming from back east and Canada. Uh, not every year. There's a new racer. This will be his third racer, a fellow named Jack Wiegand. And uh, he is from Pennsylvania. He uh, has been in stock car racing and lots of different kinds of racing. 
he came out to see it two years ago and actually kind of rented a ride from one of the 36 horse challenge racers who put together what we call a stone stock or a, a super stock single engine. Yeah. That's, that's an, it could be a 36 horse. Then we have a, a S a super stock single category for the 36 horse and for the big blocks. And this was a big block 2332 with a single modified 34 PICT carburetor. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, in a bug, in a uh, stock body bug, the record for that engine is 119 miles an hour. Wow. That's a great grandmother drove it to that speed. <laughs> really? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. She's a special lady. Uh, but anyway, see, uh, this Jack Wiegand uh, came out, enjoyed it so much, he immediately went home and bought a Super Beetle. Yeah. And uh, bought the engine from the car he rented, put that in the Super Beetle, came back out last year and raced that and went home. And now he is actually building what we call a Lakester. And this, he's a craftsman. This this guy can, he's, he's built race car chassis most of his life. And he's building this with a VW front axle beam. Yeah. And then mid-engine. And it's, it looks like a formula car, but they're usually skinnier and taller. But he's, he's putting that together now, and it's a beautifully crafted car. He's one of the guys that, like Daryl, goes to one extreme on the investment portion of it. Right. Those other guys, like some of the original pioneers, there were, there were five guys between 1959 and 1967 that raced 36-horse engined cars at Bonneville. We have two of them in their 80s still racing with us really yeah and and uh, tom brook is is one of the original pioneers yeah and uh he has the, he still holds the current record for a turbocharged 36 horse engine production bodied beetle really He's been 126 miles an hour with it now the beautiful part about this is tom works on an economy scale he has basically $400 in that engine. Oh, really? Because he's using parts he's had, used parts. I mean, he's a guy that he's a good old-fashioned technician that's a true mechanic, and he makes things work. That's awesome. I mean, that's that, that, that's part of the thing with being a VW guy. I think you've got to be resourceful. You know, you've got to really – most VW guys have loads of extra stuff. So, so now I want to hit you with a couple questions. So – you mentioned he bought a Super Beetle. So what's the so you take same motor drivetrain everything you go from flat window Beetle to Super Beetle. How much are you picking up mile an hour for the aerodynamics? Uh I don't know. If you uh, had the, to guess. What I was racing against was with a standard Beetle. The 132.100 miles an hour was a standard Beetle with a flat windshield. Uh I would the coefficient of drag information, I have a history on that that I've accumulated from different sources. I gained 0.1 over a standard beetle to a super beetle by having the curved windshield. That's it? That's it. Wow. A good discussion that we've had, uh, we, we have a, the way we communicate with each other is on Facebook. Yeah. Unless they do an email directly to me. But on Facebook is where everybody can kind of throw in their two cents worth. And there's been a large discussion using the flat windshield or any, any car actually because it can apply to all of them is the more you lower the front of the car, 
the steeper the rake of that windshield becomes. So are you gain, what are you gaining by dropping the front of the car down? And you'll look at cars like Daryl's 160-mile-an-hour Carmen Ghia, uh, Mike Fisher's 180-mile-per-hour Carmen Ghia, yeah. uh, and a lot of the bugs. And you'll see they're setting almost level. Oh, really? So they're no longer raking the cars out. They're leaving them up so it's less wind resistance. They're, this, this is a discussion we're in the middle of. We're just watching the progression and see what happens. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it's funny. I was, I, and this is a little bit off topic. I happen to be uh, at my daughter's birthday party. She had a friend there. The friend's dad was there. And, you know, the dads just get to talking. And this, and this particular guy was, he was um, like a, uh, I want to say, he was a nano engineer. And so me, like being a talker that I am, we got to striking up a conversation and he told me about something he was working on. <clears throat> he was, they were working on a, uh, a boat trying to you try, they were working on, um, resistance, resistance, aerodynamics, wind resistance, stuff like that. And he said they had taken the same boat and had gotten, uh, like a, a boat with a single speed motor and with certain modifications of wind or air deflection, they were able to get this single engine aluminum type thing up to some, you know, that would only do like 20 miles an hour up to like 60 miles an hour. And I said, you know, he's like, these are, these were, this was nanotechnology they're working with. And I said, well, well, what were you using? He says, well, there's not much you can use and it wasn't anything physical, but what he was implying is they were using air to deflect the, the the drag off the off the water and so somehow they were using air to create like a capsule for it to go in so i think to some degree it would be interesting to see what difference it would make if you had like a front foil instead of pushing down force helping air go over the vehicle versus hitting it you know what i'm saying like make almost a wind pocket so well that that was one of the funny things i i, I had the good fortune to be invited to go along with uh Mike Fisher, uh, who also invited Dean Kirsten from Hot BW to go to a wind tunnel that was active in uh, Ogden, Utah, a couple of years ago, and watch him do aerodynamic tests on his Carmen Ghia before he ever raced it. And the test started with a air dam in the front mm -hmm. because everybody thinks that's the, the big plus. They're, they're, they're thinking stop the air from going underneath the car Stop the air from going underneath the car. However, the wind tunnel test showed that by taking the air dam off, he had a better coefficient of drag. So his, his speed theoretically increased a certain amount of miles per hour by taking the air dam off. That's <laughs> funny. And so and, and that was just contrary to what everybody believed. Again, we, it's, it gets into this, how far do you lower the front end down? Right. Again, uh, Daryl Vitone's uh, Carmen Ghia. Not a single bit of aerodynamics on it, just good suspension, properly lowered, uh, and a very efficient motor. Well, I mean, that's it, it's it's cool, and I think I could see how once a guy gets into it, you just continue to keep chasing, like, how much faster can I get this by not adding power, but just modifying what the wind is hitting? Because I think, you know, with the bus, the toughest thing you have is the oh, – a barn door would obviously be faster than a late, later model split windscreen bus because of the oh. overhang of that. Gotcha. So let me ask this question. If I was to run my bus, I wonder when, uh, when Mueller ran his bus 
if he did any kind of aerodynamic scoop in front of that to keep the wind from hooking that, or he just ran it straight bodied. He ran straight body complete with the original corrosion that came. This, this car was, this bus was brought out of the outback. It had been used as a kangaroo hunting vehicle, complete with a rack around the roof rail rain gutter with spikes on it where they would hang the kangaroos. Nice. <laughs> okay. And, and the, it had sat out there and corroded and rusted and all this. He never, it was never a polished body, nothing that way. He ran no aerodynamics. Now, uh, Jason at Wolfgang yeah. and Glenn Eurisha, they brought, uh, they're, they're the ones that hold the record for the uh, big block type two. Yeah. They ran it through reduction gears. So their bus was setting up quite high. And they went ahead and built skirts that went not only across the front, but down the sides. I to, think I think I've seen that, but it's a, is it a primered bus. It's a no, it's a but it's a light gray, light white bus with black skirts on it. I uh, again, it. it looks like it looks almost like vinyl base for the black skirts. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And that that improved theirs to where they got a, a you know a better speed. They experimented with and without the the air dams on it than the skirts. And I think their speed, their best speed was set with the air dam and skirts in place. I want, I'm feeling pretty excited that I'm, that I'm coming for Mueller. I love it. I love to have a target in my sights because my motor's out because I was having it gone through and I, I, I thought I was losing some oil and stuff or some oil pressure. So I took it to Adam Wick who rebuilt it for me. And now that motor's been rebuilt. It's getting ready to go back into my crew cab. But now that I'm going to talk to him, I do have some 48s. I had 44s on it, but I don't know. And we're going to start talking about, you know, what the difference is going to be from 48s to 44s. And should I run 48s to get more velocity through the motor for more top end, go tall manifolds. So since I'm going to be doing this, there's going to be some tweaks done to the carbon cab so that I can <laughs> maximize the air pump that's in the back of that thing and get me down the road as fast as possible. Now I may have, if his bus was all stock, stock suspension and everything, me having the nine inch wide rear tires and the seven and a half or eight inch wide front tires could be a deficit to me in the same, exactly. in the same respect, you know, is it, is it possible that a guy could come up there with my 17 inch Porsche alloys all the way around and then I could park the car and change to skinnies if I wanted to just going for speed. I don't know. As long as they've got metal valve stems and are speed rated. Okay. Got to have that H rating or above for the categories you're running in. All right. Adam has been to Bonneville. I, I uh, got to meet him one time. That's the only time I've ever met Adam. But he, Bob Stahl, and Dean Lowry uh, were out on the salt uh, back in the late 90s because Dean at that time before he passed away was had, had built a Super Beetle. And uh, he was planning on bringing it to Bonneville. He never made it. He raced it at uh, uh, El Mirage with Mike Fisher helping and or as his partner. Yeah. Uh, but Adam Adam came out, so he's he got an idea of what Bonneville is and wow. maybe some unique requirements that this you know getting top speed out of the car will require. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So since you've got so much experience and history with that. Give me like the top two misnomers that people think are going to make their car go faster, but actually don't. Something similar to the air down. But what other things do you constantly see that are radical misconceptions that everybody kind of says like, oh, there's a newbie over there. <laughs> That's this guy's first time out. What are some of the things that, that over the time in history, people have learned to realize like that really doesn't help and this is what you should do versus that? 
Well, number one, believe their speedometers and come out there expecting to do what their speedometer says. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, the, the VW speedometers are historically 10% off. I used to be the complaint department for Volkswagen. Yeah. I've dealt with this from a stock production situation, but they, uh, uh, your car's not probably going to go as fast as you think you've seen it go on the street unless you just, again, use your personal best and refine it, refine it, refine it, and do the best you can with it. Now, how, how big a difference does wind make when it's up there? Does what? How big a difference does wind make when you're up there? I mean, what's the worst? I mean, you're hoping for a two-mile-an-hour wind or less, or what are you looking for when you're up there? See, they will shut down the course on side winds. Primarily side winds will shut down the course at about five or seven miles an hour uh, because of not so much for the s slower cars, but for the faster cars, that can be critical. Yeah. Uh, it may be a little higher threshold than that, but if, if, they're, if they're getting strong, steady side winds at uh, 7, 10 miles an hour, they're usually going to shut down the course. If it's a headwind or a tailwind, they don't shut down the course for that. So let's say, hypothetically, best case scenario, I'm hoping for a tailwind. <laughs> Actually, you run the course one way, then back the other. No, that's how it used to be. Okay. It used to be you would run one way. If you qualified above the existing record, they would shut down the racing. You had one hour to turn your car around and take off and go through the, the whatever the speed trap was. Uh, the, the big cars raced to a total of five miles. Yeah. Uh, that's 175 plus cars. The 175 mile an hour slower cars, and this is SCTA, race up to three miles. But they would turn the car around and race in the opposite direction and then take the average on the same mile that the car went through that gave them their best speed. That would become a record. Uh, years ago, they quit doing that because it's it may make the, the world record-keeping body, the FIA, happy, but it's just not practical. And that was designed to compensate for places that aren't smooth like Bonneville, where you maybe race a two degree uphill one way right. and you have degree one so you got a good average at Bonneville it's flat there is no advantage so the SETA started their own record keeping and they would race down you would qualify and you start the next morning and race the same direction and that two speed average from your qualifying run and your actual second run would become the record hopefully nice so now, if you do a land speed record, you run one time and you get the record. If you break it, you don't need to back it up, or you need to do two consecutive runs. Still, you can do them the yeah. same direction. You have to do two runs uh, by the next day. The 36-horse challenge, mm -hmm. I don't require that. Okay. I'm only interested in what is the fastest speed you got on an official timing slip from a, an official racing body, whether it's the SCTA, whether it's the United Kingdom uh Land Speed Association, whether it's the Dry Lakes Racing Association out of Australia, just give us a time slip and you went this fast. Oh, good. Well, nice. So, yeah, I'm hoping we're able to get uh, a lot of people to get uh, to send you an email and also to kind of uh, reach out to you. Check out the Facebook page. The, fa the Facebook page now is the 36 Horsepower Challenge Facebook page. They can and it's a 
group page, you've got to look in the group section for it. Okay, so go to the group section, and then if you go in the group section, then you can become a member of that group and then start seeing going through all the articles yeah. and stuff that people have on there, which is your best bet as far as getting up to speed as in respect to what you should do as well as contacting you via your email. If they're, if they're seriously interested that they think they might come out and even try to go 70 miles an hour with their 36-horse engine, definitely email me. I'll be, I'll be glad to assist in whatever way I can to direct them in the right direction. So do the VW guys all park as one contingent? They all kind of stick together in one big section? That's one of the things that just uh, intrigued Jack Wiegand from Pennsylvania. He had so much fun. He said that the racing was so much fun with this group of diverse group of VW guys from around the country that he wanted to come back. It yeah. was relaxing. It was, it was casual. It was helpful. Uh, that's one thing that's uh, always been neat about Bonneville is that there's no money involved. Uh, the SET racing, you can get a trophy, but people assist each other, including you blew your engine up here. Use my engine to beat my record. Yeah. Because if you beat his record, then he now has a goal to come back and beat that again. And, and so, uh, in, in respect to that, it's a pretty tethered group up there. Like everybody's there to support one another and, so I'm coming up. What do I expect? Do I need to bring lawn chairs and easy up, kind of make my own little camp section? Or, I mean, what, what should a guy do if a guy's coming out there? That's a, for both spectators and racers, uh, that's an important factor. Number one, just going to the Bonneville Salt Flats. It's bright white. It's like snow. And uh, it's in the August speed week meet, the temperature is usually in the 90, 95 degrees during the day, world of speed is a good 10 degrees cooler usually. Mm -hmm. So it's about 885. Uh, but you need to put sunblock on and you need to put it in places you never thought about because you're wearing shorts maybe. Right. Well, sun's coming off. And I, speaking from personal experience, you've got to put sunblock up the pants legs. Yeah. You need it on the bottoms of your chins, on the bottom of your ears, on the bottom, you know. Uh, Good sunblock, good dark sunglasses, a big shade hat, plenty of liquid to drink. Uh, they do have some resources out there, but just bring your own so you're not shopping for it. Uh, so and, you bring a cooler, bring your typical stuff you're going to tailgate with, but most importantly, a sunblock, dark sunglasses, because you're, the, the thing people underestimate is how bright the salt is with that right. sun reflecting off of it. Now, now funny thing about this, because... You know, you, you'd think because it's 95 degrees out there and that stuff's, that stuff is burning you, you can take your shoes off and walk around on it. It's moist. It's cool. Really? The salt is actually cool to walk on. Huh. But it, 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 you, birds that get out there can die. Insects, there are very few insects. They can't survive out there in the reflected heat. So when you come out there, if you're going to come out as a spec, so you're going to come out as a spectator, does it cost money to get in? What's it cost to get in? And Mm -hmm. so, uh, there's two ways. They usually have a daily cost, which is usually around $20. They give you a paper pass, and they get you in for the day. Uh, I always buy the pit pass, which is $50 to $60. It gets me in for the whole event, and it's a great little uh, souvenir. It's metal pin. Uh, I've still got the – in fact, I wear the, the first one I got in 1962 is on my hat every year that I go out. Nice. You know, it's a, that's that's my biggest thing out there is having that pin or coming home with that pin, whether I'm racing, spectating, covering it for a magazine, 
Uh, I've been a pit crew. Uh, just I used to put on a cruise in out there for 10 years for hot rodders. I mean, that's my souvenir is that metal pin. As people listen to this podcast, I want guys to think I, I'm hoping to spark and inspire guys that got a nice fast street car that they've worked or they got a nice German look vehicle or they've got something kind of cool that they want to drag out there and see what they can get for their top speed. If they stay within the 130 mile hour or less, the the the, the restriction 139.9 up to 139.9. You don't need to have overkill. It doesn't need to be a full blown race car. It can be a street stock. Type vehicle. If it's, if it's convertible, you got to have at least a four-point roll bar. Okay. One thirty club. If it's not a convertible, I know a big sunroof car is considered a sun, uh, convertible. Okay, so a big sunroof car. A sunroof car is not. Oh, okay. So a steel sunroof car is not as convertible. Big ragtop is convertible. Yeah, they want to see like an MP. Uh, the part number is a thirty-one sixty-one. It's a four-point roll cage you can bolt in. Okay. Just added protection. Okay. And, and a three seatbelt so are is it surprising when you're running out there at full speed like surprising that a, that a four mile an hour crosswind feels like you're getting hit by a freight train or what or is it make it really difficult is, is is the salt slick to drive on or does it do you have traction what's some of the things that people should expect when they come out there for the last 10 years the salt has usually had a little more moisture in it than it did last year and it was a little bit spookier yeah Side winds do affect you. You usually have a 65 foot or 60 foot wide course to race on. So as long as you stay within those lines, even if you go out and come back in, you're okay as long as you go through the flags and the lights at the right places. All right, they'll give you a speed. Uh, the last year, the situation was just beautiful. The rains quit early. The sun baked it dry. And they had absolutely the best salt they've had in over a decade last year. They had it at the Speed Week, and it was even better at World of Speed. And then the, there's a small event in October called the World Finals. It was great for one day, which is where the 503 mile an hour speed was set. And it rained the next to do the backup run and make a record out of it. Yeah, that's awesome. So. I'm thinking right now, I'm thinking of all these guys here in town locally in, in Vegas and a lot of guys in Southern California, people that listen to the podcast that might have, you know, that fast street car or something they want to bring out. I'm thinking hopefully from them here in this podcast, realizing that it's really not that complicated to get in there and run. If you go in there, what should you anticipate? You're going to go in there, you pay your money. Is it, uh, you know, like here they have Midnight Mayhem at the drag strip, right? It's on a Friday night. You go there, you make one pass, it's three or four hours before your next pass. Is it that packed there, or do they have enough running lanes where people are running, or are they just one running lane, or, or how's that work? It can end up being very boring. Yeah. There's, there's uh, they have, they have uh, the world speed, they usually have two tracks. One is the big five-mile to seven to ten-mile course for the 175-mile-an-hour faster cars. Then they have the slower cars up to 175 and the 13150 club cars. And they have to just interchange those in. If a car breaks down or has a problem out there where an engine blows up and they lose parts, they have to shut it down, go out and find all the little pieces and parts to make it safe for these the guys that are gonna follow up behind. Yeah. So it can and it can you may only get two runs in on a day. Uh, towards the end of the event, you may get ten runs in. The, the 130 Club, your entry fee allows you to make six runs. Now, if you do that and you want to go play some more for a, a portion, a percentage of that 
main entry fee, mm-hmm. you can get another five runs in. And you can do it. I've had guys, you know, have make uh, 15 runs by just paying a little extra money each time, you know, once they get qualified in. That's good. So I just want to make sure people are there because I'm, you know, I'm sitting here thinking of all these street guys here in Vegas. So if a guy's got, let's say, a Subaru motor inside of a square back, does that you you have a class like a water cooled horizontally opposed engine or Wasser Boxer class or how to let's say a guy's got a Gia with a with a uh, uh, Subaru engine in it and he's water cooled. What uh, what class is he running in? He, he there is no class because this is a thirty six horse challenge. However. Because it's a Volkswagen body, mm-hmm. I will record his speed in the land speed racing history. And he will he will go down in and this 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 is a forty, fifty some pages. Yeah. Twenty five people on it. These these are every person I can find around the world that's ever driven in a land speed event of any sort. That's awesome. And he will get added to that. Well that's cool. Or, so- or she. <laughs> yeah. So there. So realistically, there's not even. I mean, even if there's no class for it, you're getting recorded because you're going on the VW history of. You could be the first guy to drive uh, a, a, a Subaru-powered Carmen Ghia on the track, and you're going to be the first guy. But you're going to go down in history. So listen, everybody out there in podcast land, I think you got to put your ears on and realize that if you want to be part of VW history. You can go out there during Speed Week or World of Speed. I'm sorry, World of Speed was to be September 13th through 16th. You can come out there, run your Volkswagen, uh, get with Burley, send him some emails so you can get all your requirements out of the way. And uh, we, we may do a follow-up podcast with you down the road just as the time gets closer. This has been fun. To the event. And I appreciate everything that we've learned today about land speed stuff. I know that there's me personally, and I've got some friends I know that are going to want to come out there and run just to say they did it. I mean, you've dragged, you drag racing your Volkswagen, you SEC racing your Volkswagen, you might as well do it all, right? I mean, there's no purpose in uh, not doing a little bit of everything if it's that cheap and affordable and it just takes a, a little bit of time to get you up there. So, Well, plus uh, one of the, the incentives, uh, go out and rent or buy the movie The World's Fastest Engine. Yeah. That will inspire you. Number two, so many people have heard about the Bonneville Salt Flats and have never been there. Much less, there's very uh, extremely small percentage of people who have ever raced on it. The 36 horse challenge with your production, with your stock bug, going 80 miles an hour, gives you the opportunity to say you did. No, that's awesome. I think you know it, it's it's something that it's like the Indianapolis 500. There's something that's just historical when it comes to racing, and if you can somehow be a part of it, why not be a part of it? I think that's a great opportunity. Plus, these competitive guys out there just love to see how fast their cars can go, and I'd love to see, I'd love to see a huge turnout this September up there in Bonneville. So, uh, guys that are listening out there, get onto the Facebook page for the 36 Horsepower Challenge. Burley's put a bunch of hotel information up there so you can reserve your rooms now, so that you can make sure you've got a room to go to when you get up there. Um, are, are there campgrounds there? If somebody wants, to, if somebody's got a toy hauler and they want to haul a toy hauler out, some places. There are campgrounds. They can fill up pretty quick. There's a wide open desert with restrictions that the BLM puts on it, and it's both up off the lake bed, not on the salt flats, but on the clay lake bed leading up to it. Uh, but there's a problem with that is if it rains, that clay, that mud is clay and you may not get your family car or whatever it is that's out there on that lake. But I encourage people to camp up off of it unless the forecast is perfectly dry for the, the days you're going to be there. 
you're a Vegas guy. I am. You're you're planning on bringing your bus out. Yes. I'm sure you know Derek Boxrod Campbell. I do. Get him back out here. He was one <laughs> of the first guys to race out there. He built this beautiful full cage split splitty bus, and uh, just came out one time and had some fun and sold the bus. But we'd sure like to see him come back out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll mention to him. I'm sure he'll hear it on the podcast or something, and we'll <laughs> see if he can get back out there. I think he ran. Uh, I think I think he ran like 98 mile an hour in that bus or something like that, and he had a engine catastrophe or something. So. But we'll uh, we'll see if we. I don't know if he's got a Vol. Well, I think he just picked up a Volkswagen. He just picked up a Carmen Ghia that's been passed around a few hands recently. So we'll see if we can't get him out there. But we'll see if we can't make a strong showing from the Vegas contingent out there and get a bunch of people out there this year for that uh, for that World of Speed. I think it's it's something exciting to do. It's definitely something where you can say you've done it and you're going down in history. Uh, there for World of Speed. So I wanted to ask you a quick question in regards to the camping. So if I decide to come out there, bring my bus, but I want to bring my weekend warrior out there, haul my bus inside it, there's there's location on site where I can camp out right there, and then I've got a base camp where I can see the thing or no? On the salt. There are no, no people except security allowed on the salt at night. But adjacent to the salt, you can be out there or no? About, about three miles away. Okay. Three to four miles away. So, but during the during the racing part, if a guy wants to bring his truck and trailer and his rig in to the racing pits area, he can? Or, he can. Okay, so yeah. if I want to do that to have a good base camp set up for a bunch of VW people that were coming out there, that would be maybe a good idea, huh? Right, yeah. And again, we try to encourage all the VWs to, to try to get together in the pits for both parts and tool exchanges and it you know, lifting help, whatever. A few guys don't. They may park near some friends of theirs, but the majority of the guys uh, try to get within a, a lane or two. The pits are about a mile long. Oh, wow. I mean, it's a huge area. So, But we're normally towards the northeastern side right along the racetrack. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm The more I think about it, the more I'm getting excited about it, the more I just want to get my bus out there and see if I can't take uh, Steve Mueller's record. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he would love that. that he, he's put a challenge out there i don't know if it's still at one time he was offering 500 bucks to the guy that could break it but i haven't heard him say anything about that oh, man, I, I might have to come get his record so I, I might hit him up on facebook and let him know i'm i'm, I'm coming for him so um well look you know uh burley I've, I've appreciated having you on here we've learned a lot uh like i said thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, we'll for sure uh get you on again the closer it gets we'll kind of do what we can to help promote the event to get some more VW guys out there because I know that you know what a great experience it is and how it can impact people in their lives and especially give them something to do and and work on their Volkswagen and try to just get another three, four, five mile an hour out there and, and not spend a ton of dough but have a really great experience doing it. So um, I definitely appreciate you coming on the podcast, Burley, and uh, I know we've been trying to connect for a little bit. I'm glad we have. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing you in September. Remember, it's going to be the 13th through the 16th at the uh, World of Speed in Bonneville. And make sure you guys get on there and make and friend the Facebook page for the VW 36 Horsepower Challenge. Also, uh, Burley, go ahead and give me your email address again if people want to reach out to you to get the list of requirements of what you need. It's, it's burleybug at outlook.com. Or if they get onto the 36 Horse Challenge page, just PM me from there with their email, 
and let me kind of know what they're interested in. And I will, like I say, they'll, they'll get a whole bunch of emails from me. Bert, yeah, you, you sent me a bunch. Yeah. Information that's helpful. Love it. Love it. I appreciate it, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thanks for having me. We'll do it again. I appreciate you, man. Have a good night. All right, buddy. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.